Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. So I'm going to try my best to pick up where we left off last week in the book of Joshua. Uh, I'm going to try not to go backwards too much for the sake of time. But last week, uh, we were in Joshua chapter 1. We really hung out on verse 7 where he told him, only be strong and very courageous. I'm going to go ahead and apologize as well because I am all congested and this head cold is kicking my tail. So y'all just got to bear with me this morning. Uh, But we left off where he was telling Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. And last week, even though we don't like the terminology maybe, Last week was a message on requirement. Uh, I know you probably, you may, you, may have been, um, you may have been brought into Christianity under the assumption that you didn't have any responsibilities. If so, I apologize that someone lied to you. When you come into Christianity, you come into responsibility. It is what it is. Um, and so, that being said, last week was a message on responsibility. Joshua's responsibility was to be strong and very courageous, and we broke those words down. Um, If you didn't, if you weren't able to be here last week, it's it's on podcast. Go back and check it out. Uh, Just some good direction and things. Um, But the the beautiful thing about being a Christian, being in a a a walk of faith, is all responsibility comes with reward. All requirement comes with reward. Uh, There's a scripture we don't like to deal with a whole lot, but Hebrews 11 and 6 actually tells us that he's a rewarder of those. (laughs) So he he rewards responsibility. He he rewards, that's easy for you to say, he rewards requirements. Sometimes we sit around and feel like, oh, poor pitiful me, I don't feel like I'm living in any of the rewards, and I'm going to use that term loosely, that could be because you haven't met any of the requirements. It's, we're just going to go there today, all right? Y'all, y'all going to have to go with me today. And so last week was a message on requirement and responsibility. But I've noticed something about God. He's pretty amazing. The reward is always infinitely greater than the requirement or the sacrifice. Now, that's a cool statement. Like, tweet that, put it on a bumper sticker, make a shirt out of it. It sounds great. But no one believes it. We don't actually believe the statement, or I would, as a reasonable service, live a life of requirement and sacrifice, because I understand that the reward is infinitely greater. Paul said the sufferings of this present time can't even be compared to the glory that would be revealed, and if we actually believe that, I would rejoice in the suffering, but when I don't rejoice, and I worry, and I fret, and I pout, and I'm then in reality, I'm saying I don't believe that what's coming out of this is worth me going through it. Oh, Lord. So where we're at today is I want to focus on the reward side of this, and I struggled with this word for a while, reward. But in reality, it's the nature of God. So we're going to get into this, and I want you to understand The requirements is what we're going to call it, maybe the sacrifice, however you want to use that. The instructions, let's go with that, that was given to Joshua was only be strong and courageous. That's what you got to do. You be stubborn 
and committed and never give up. Remember last week we talked about if you get punched in the mouth, then what happens? You be so stubborn in what you know that you don't quit, that you don't give up. Man, I've just been in such a thankful place, uh, just a place of gratitude lately in, in, my, in my immediately immediate family at the house. Just so thankful, moments with the kids and things that are happening in us, just super grateful. And God just began to take this and use it and show me in my life in areas where I had to do this. I had to be stubborn about what I believed about God because some of you know that early on when God started just giving me revelation on family and pursuing family and things like that, me and Courtney went through an incredible tragedy and lost a member of our family. She, she lost a baby. And, and looking back now, it, it seems in a lot of ways it feels like it was yesterday, but it was actually before KG. Well, after losing that baby, we had what I learned now is called a rainbow baby, which was KG. And then God still wasn't done, even though we thought we were. And he decided to give us Benjamin. And God just began to show me this incredible thing that I was declaring all this about family and the goodness of God. And then all of a sudden, this moment happens where I lost a child. And it was one of those moments where I had to choose to be stubborn enough to say, what I've declared to this moment, I will not change. I will not for a moment stop and decide, you know what, maybe this ain't what I thought it was. And out of it, God just keeps blessing my little family and doing things in it. But it was out of a stubbornness to not check up. I didn't fly off the handle. I didn't freak out. I didn't go back to my old ways. I didn't, I didn't do any of those things. I remained where I was. Even though I had every excuse to, I remained and became stubborn. And I'm telling you, if I could just tell you the blessings that I'm reaping in my family right now, that being said, God is such a rewarder. And we actually see this because in Joshua, chap- I mean, in Joshua chapter 1, we see him talking to Joshua. Well, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, we see God telling the same things to Moses, but he tells it in a lot of detail. And I want to pull out a few scriptures just to kind of lay a foundation here. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, I'm going to jump around just really quick and pull some out. Uh, It starts off with God telling him, if you will keep my charge, keep my commandments, uh, do do as I say. Uh, These are the things he's telling Moses. These are the requirements. In other words, he's telling him the same things he told Joshua. Remain connected to me and remain obedient to me. He keeps saying this to him. This is where we get, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, all that stuff. Then it goes on and uh, in verse uh, 13 God says, and it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command to you today, to love the Lord God and serve him with your heart and with all your soul. So there's the requirement. God says, then I will give you rain for your land, early rain and latter rain, and you'll gather grain and new wine and your oil. And then I'll send grass into your fields and your livestock will grow and eat and be filled. Um, He goes on down, if you'll write these on your heart, stick to these. I will carefully keep, if you will carefully keep all these commandments, then the Lord will drive out all the nations before you and you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourself. And every place that you put the sole of your feet, it will be given to you. This is the original promise. This is the original requirement and reward. If you do this, if you stay connected, if you stay obedient, if you stay hooked up to me, these are the things I'm going to do. I don't know if you've noticed, but all the things God were gonna do, was going to do were way better than what he was asking Moses to do. 
I need you to get this characteristic about God because us not knowing this about God is why most of us live subpar Christianity. Because we don't understand the concept that if I bought into the requirements with all of my heart, the reward would so outweigh it that I wouldn't even think about the sacrifice. I wouldn't even think about the fact that I'm giving up so, many, so much time in my day to spend time with him if I knew what came out of it. In reality, we see this. What happens is there's an incredible story uh, in the New Testament where Jesus is at Simon uh, the Pharisee's house which I would love to get in and teach how that is actually Simon the leper that was restored by Jesus. So much there to be taught and learned. But he's in this, and a woman comes in whom we know to be a prostitute and falls at his feet, begins to worship him, pour out on him, all this kind of stuff. And the disciples make a statement. And they talk about how she was wasting this really valuable thing on Jesus, that it could have been used for something else. And the value of it was so high, they could have done so much good with it. Both of those statements are perfectly true. It cost a year's worth of money, and she could have done a lot of good things with it. Those were true statements. The problem wasn't their value of the oil. The problem was their value of Jesus. If the value of what you're giving seems too much, then it's because the value of Jesus is so low. Pray an hour a day? How could I sacrifice my time? You don't know how busy I am. You don't know how good he is. Oh, I'm just fixing to get all up in your mail now. See, what happens is we don't understand how good the reward actually is, and it's proven by our lack of sacrifice. If I thought he was as good as I worship like he is and I sing along to the song, if I actually believed it, I would live a life that was so sacrificial why? Because he's a rewarder, and his rewards are better than my sacrifice. They're just better. He said, Moses, if you'll stay connected to me, I'll cause grass to grow. Let me see you do that. You get what I'm saying? He was saying, all you do, Joshua, if you remain strong and courageous, I'll give you the promised land. But you have to understand that what you're going to get is so much better than what you're going to have to give. The problem is we put a lot of value on our sacrifice. And all we hear is you better count the cost and you never know what you're going to sacrifice. And, you gotta, and everything becomes about the sacrifice. When the first time I find myself at his feet, the sacrifice will seem pathetic. The fact that I had to give up some things will seem so insignificant when I find myself at his feet. When I find myself actually having an encounter where he shows up and does something I couldn't do, all of a sudden, you know what? That really wasn't that bad because you see what he just did. But, but we've got it backwards in our minds, and, and, and a lot of the Israelites had this problem. They knew what it was going to cost to get where they were going, so some of them thought, you know what? I'm just going to hang out right here. I like this spot. This spot's good. If I hang out in this spot, I don't have to risk drowning in the Jordan. Man, but if you knew what the promised land was like, you start easing off into the water. Like, this could take me out, but if it don't, I've seen what's on the other side. I've seen what the reward could be. I've seen what could come out of this. So what happens a lot of times, uh, I've written here, I know we don't like this vernacular, but in the words of a great man that I used to work with, it is what it is. It just is what it is. 
without understanding that there is some requirements, but the requirements are so insignificant compared to the reward. Let's look at it in the most basic sense. What's the most popular scripture in the Bible? John 3.16. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if we do what? He'll do what? Wait, wait, what? I just believe he gives everlasting life. Whoa, this seems way out of proportion. All I do is believe he does the impossible. All of a sudden, believing doesn't seem like such a sacrifice now. Why? Because have you seen what comes out of it? Have you seen what comes out of it? The reward is infinitely greater. It's so much more than we could ever understand. But the problem is we tend to stumble over this side of things because our proportional perception is messed up. This was a phrase that Holy Spirit just dropped in my spirit when I was writing this. Our proportional perception is messed up. Now let me explain this weird phrase. We tend to think that we are required or have to sacrifice so much, but in return only get so little. If we're just being totally honest, no one's going to come out and say it. But if we were honest, we don't have to say it. Because in our mind, we think, I'm giving up my whole life for this thing, Kenny. I'm giving up. And look, what, what I got out of it. Come on now, it's just our mindset. We're just being real this morning. And, and we have a, a proportional perception that is wrong. What does that mean? The proportions are messed up. In other words, I see my sacrifice more proportionate than what he's giving me. I put more proportion in my sacrifice because I'm egotistical and narcissistic and it's all about me, and I put it up here and I put what I get down here. The problem is, the reason what we're getting is down here is because what we're giving is religion. And religion don't give you nothing but a headache and a bad taste in your mouth. But what, we really under, what you really got to understand is when I start sacrificing in the idea of Jesus Christ and what he has done for me, then there's a reward that comes with it that's not just better, it's impossible. See, the thing is not just that his rewards are better than my sacrifice. It's the fact that his rewards are an impossibility on my part. He told Moses, if you stay connected, I'm going to make it rain. I'm just going to let that sit in the room. If you just stay connected, I'm going to do something that no matter what, you could never do. I'm going to move in the realm of the impossible that you couldn't even think about doing if you just meet this one little requirement. Just stay connected to me. Stay obedient to me. I believe this is why we, we dealt with this some last week. I believe this is why Joshua was so caught off guard when he lost the battle. Because he was so convinced that as long as he was meeting the requirements, he should never lose. He knew God said, stay strong and courageous, and I'll drive out every enemy of the promised land. So what did Joshua do? He remained strong and courageous, and when they lost the battle, he comes back and says, God, what happened? What happened? But if I see the sacrifice as greater than the reward, 
I don't find myself in the position of asking, well, why didn't I get this and why didn't I get that? Because my attention, my focus is on what am I giving up? What am I sacrificing? What are we sacrificing? Some time together? A little bit of your time every day? Maybe, maybe your reputation? Maybe your comfort? Sacrificing some of these little things? But we see them as so big. And because of it, we're not experiencing the reward that is infinitely greater. <coughs> or often we don't experience it. No, <clears throat> oh, give me a second. Or often we don't live in this reward. Because of religion, bad teaching, and poor eschatology, we don't think the reward, it's not that we think the reward is inadequate. We just think the reward is not available until I die. Let me say this again. Because of religion, bad teaching, and poor eschatology, some of us don't think that the reward is inadequate. We just think it's not available until you die. Let me explain that in a simple term. I don't think it's going to get good till I go to heaven. That's most people's mindset. Well, if we can just hang on, brother if we can just make it to the sweet by and by, then one day we're all going to be free of sin and we ain't going to cry no more. Well, if you want to wait till heaven to have that life, I'm sorry for you, but I don't want to wait that long. I want to tap into the reward of my God and begin to live in some promises that he never once said were reserved for heaven. Who came up with that idea? Who decided, you know what, Kenny, one day when we get in heaven, you won't have to sin no more. Where did that come from? I would love for you to take your Bible and sit down and prove this, this understanding to me. Because let me, let me give you a phrase I heard this week. This is so good. Um, from Apostle Damon, I heard him say this week, if we believe that we can only live free of sin after we die, then we believe death sets us free, not Jesus. Yeah, let's sit down on that one. Ain't that so real, though? So Jesus didn't set you free. You just hung on, brother, until you died. That's why people look so forward to death. Well, maybe once I die, it's going to get better. Listen, I'm not knocking heaven. It's going to be incredible. God's there, okay? Enough said. But the problem is we don't live in a lot of the reward because you don't think you can yet. And you're stuck in the mindset, well, one day, whenever we all die, then it's going to be good. And because of bad eschatology and bad theology, we're just hoping that Jesus would come back tomorrow. That is the most selfish thing the church has ever pursued is the rapture. The rapture is so selfish and so egotistical and so narcissistic. You know why? Because God said, it's not my will that any should perish. Well, guess how many would if he came back tomorrow? Guess how, but you don't, but it don't matter. You know why? Because it's going to be better for me. I didn't want to go here today. But it's going to be better for me because I'm, I'm just trying to make it to the sweet by and by. I'm just trying to get to heaven one day. I got to get away from that. So what happens is we start to believe that we sacrifice while we're on earth and one day in heaven we get rewarded for it. 
And that's our mindset. So we will just struggle through and we'll be addicted to the struggle and we'll consider the struggle to make us spiritual. Well, I'm just suffering for the sake of Jesus. No, you're not. No. Let me bless you real quick. No, you're not. You're suffering because you make dumb decisions. And what happens is when we make those decisions, we have to live with them. But when I start making decisions based on the requirement of his word, it comes with something inside of it that begins to come up in me. And guess what? I don't have to struggle in that area because Jesus dealt with it. I don't have to struggle in this area because Jesus dealt with it. Death doesn't get to deal with it because Jesus already did. So if, if we want to remain in our, our, our narcissistic obsessions, also known as addiction, then you're doing so because you think death is your answer, and it's not. An encounter with Jesus is the only answer. Something supernatural, a phenomenon, a moment of salvation that actually changes who you are, not a moment of salvation where you say, okay, now I choose to believe what you believe. I don't care what you believe. What I care is, have you encountered this man named Jesus that changes your life? It changes your life. When we begin to step in, uh, let's stick with this, this salvation narrative. When we take the required step of confessing and believing and having this encounter with Jesus, he does something so supernatural that we can't even wrap our minds around it. It says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, not a better version of who you were. Because the better version of who you were still sucks. And it's not the version that he designed you to be. There's a version that comes on the other side of a supernatural encounter, church. And I'm tired of people just repeating prayers and taking a mental ascent to, well, your way sounds better. I don't want that. I want people to experience something so supernatural that it changes their life forever. And it's not a sense of, will you go back? It's a sense of, what would I go back to? Jesus is standing before thousands of people and he makes the wildest statement in the world. So he feeds 5,000 people, right? Well, he just fed 5,000 people just counting, you know, whatever. So then he gets away from that. He comes back. Now, all of a sudden, scholars say the crowds are up in the tens of thousands. I mean, the dude just fed us. Let's follow this guy. And has all these people coming, they're enthroned around him. They're just everywhere, all these people. This is Jesus' moment. Jesus, pass out some t-shirts and say, next week, bring your friends and your tithes. But no, Jesus says, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you have no part in me. And I guarantee you here, skirt. I was wrong. <laughs> This is not the guy. And what happens is a lot of times we believe the thousands of people didn't understand what he meant. But the 12 disciples did understand what he meant, so they stayed. Wrong. No one understood what he meant. How do I know that? Because Jesus turned to the disciples and says, are you going to leave too? In other words, he knew they couldn't work it out either. And Peter says, leaving? Go where? 
no, I don't understand it. And why would you say something so crazy? But what I've experienced in you, what would I go back to? What, go back to a porn addiction? Go back to an alcohol? No, 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 you don't understand where I'm at now. And there's not an option. I'm standing in the place saying, go back to what? Go back to what? Where I had to work myself in the ground to make it work? Where I had a broken marriage? Where I was addicted to pornography and I was leaning on alcohol? Go back to that? Have you met this man named Jesus? No, I don't understand it all. No, I don't understand why we lost the baby. No, I don't understand a lot of things. But go back to what? Go back to what? I don't need to understand it all, Kenny. I just need to stay so close to him. As a matter of fact, if you need to understand it, good luck. When you get it understood, I will come bow down at the throne that they put you on. No, 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 no. They didn't understand it, but they had had an encounter. My gosh, what does this even have to do with what we're teaching today? They had an encounter. It was something, it was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. Something had happened and they stood before this man and realized, I don't know what I'd go back to. <laughs> and it's easy to think, oh, well, they didn't have nothing. Let's see, who do you have following? An extremely successful fisherman. So successful, he was over a fleet of ships. So don't come to me and say, oh, he was broke, busting, disgusted. He have no go. No, 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 no. No, slow your roll. Oh, wait, one of them was a doctor. I don't know about y'all, but most time when I go to the hospital, the doctor's parking section looks a lot better than the visitor parking section. You feel me? So it's not like these guys walked away from nothing, but when they walked away, it all seemed like nothing. Oh, my God. Why? They had encountered this man named Jesus. They encountered this man named Jesus. And the sacrifices, walking away from the fishing career, walking away from being a doctor. I don't even know how that worked back then. Doctors may have been working for free back then. I don't really know. All of a sudden, all that didn't seem like nothing. Peter said, go back to what? What, what would I go back to? No, I don't understand it. And sometimes it gets weird. Sometimes it's... I, I, I sit in here and think, God, I don't get it. Why? I need some explanations. And when he don't give me the explanation, explanations, guess what? I'm still right here. Because what would I go to? They said, who else has these words of life? Where else would I go and find life? He didn't say, all who come to me will get understanding. No, 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 no. He said, all who come to me will get life. I'll take the life over the understanding any day. Any day. Because there's so much I don't understand. I don't understand how I could, how I could go into a prayer room one day struggling with pornography on such levels that I had to, after being in ministry, sit down and confess to my wife and to my dad and to some of the closest guys around me. After being in ministry, have to confess that I was still dealing with this situation. Walk into a prayer room one day by myself in this upper room, still addicted to pornography. Have an encounter with Jesus where a man with eyes like fire 
fire, walks into a room, and his hair is like wool, and all of a sudden, I walk out, and now, what had me before doesn't have me now, because now, what do I go back to? Because let me tell you, there's no naked woman in the world that can compete with eyes like fire and hair like wool and feet like brass. There's no image on this earth that could overcome the image that has been burned into my spirit of the greatest man to ever walk on this planet. I've been there, Kenny. I've been there. It's easy to say, well, he's the preacher and he's the pastor's kid. He's this and he's that. I don't care what you think. I've been there. And without my encounter, I'd still be there. Without my encounter, I'd still be there. That's why I don't have much tolerance for your intellectual assent to what I believe. I don't need you to believe like me. I just need you to encounter this man. And when you do, every sacrifice from that moment out all of a sudden seems so insignificant. Every dollar spent, every hour invested, everything that's been done when somebody stands up here and reads a letter of a woman whose life has been wrecked, turned upside down, and all of a sudden, none of that matters. We all just sit here and weep like babies together. As a matter of fact, we sit around thinking, where can I give next? Where can I invest next? Why? Because the reward is infinitely greater than our pathetic little sacrifice. And when we talk about our sacrifice being so pathetic and weak, if that bumps up against you, then it's a proof that you have too much value on your sacrifice. It's the proof that every time I say it and you feel the, uh, that means you care too much about you and you haven't got the proper value of him. When she gives the proper value of Jesus, in the worship moment that we talked about earlier, Jesus says, wherever the gospel's preached, talk about this. He didn't say when I walked on water. He didn't say when Peter walked on water or fed the 5,000. He didn't say any of those. He said, talk about this. Why? Because this is a moment where the value was right. Worship is all about getting the value right. See, when the value's right, my sacrifice seems so small. It seems so little. The reward is infinitely greater than the requirements or the sacrifice. I can't say that enough. What's incredible is that in these scriptures in Deuteronomy, Abba is guaranteeing that he will do all the heavy lifting if they just remain connected and obedient. Most of us are wore out because we're doing all the lifting ourselves. Burnout in ministry is just the proof that I was carrying it myself. When we burn out in what we're doing, he said, that's because you were doing all the heavy lifting, and all I asked you to do is stay connected and obedient, and I would do all the heavy lifting. What's crazy is Jesus, Jesus actually teaches us the same thing in John's gospel where he coins the phrase, abide in me. Do you know it's the exact same teaching that's in Deuteronomy and Joshua? Go back and put them together. Go, go, go study your Bible. It's incredible. You'll learn a lot. It's the same teaching. Jesus said, if you abide in me, and then explains that that means if you stay connected to me and you stay obedient to me. What did he tell Moses? The same thing. And what's crazy, look at this, look at this. John 15 and 7, he says, if you do this, if you abide in me, if you make this sacrifice, this requirement, he said, if you ask anything you desire, I'll do it. Wait. 
you mean if I ask anything you desire? No, 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 that's not what he said. He said, ask anything you desire, and I'll do it. All of a sudden, the reward is infinitely greater than the sacrifice. Jesus does it beautifully in these chapters in John. You should definitely go read them. Because if we ever took time and understood that the reward compared to the sacrifice is incomparably better. <laughs> it's, it's, hmm. I mentioned earlier that Hebrews 11 and 6 tells us that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And I don't think we have a problem believing that. I just think we, our problem is in our perception of the value of what we can receive and who we receive it from. That's where the problem is. We believe he's a rewarder, but our perception of the reward is messed up. And our perception of the rewarder. A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is when I say God, what do you think about? Because if you think about anything outside of he's a loving father that would turn the world upside down just for you, then your thought, your thought process is wrong. And it needs, to be, it needs some repentance. Repentance means metanoia, change the way you think. I believe often he's so good that it scares us. And in reality, we don't want to think of him as that good because it probably bucks against everything I was told to believe. And sometimes we would rather hold on to our dogmas than actually embrace how good he really is. In other words, I would rather be right than experience the reward. Hmm. I recently had, a I had someone reach out to me and asking for prayer in a situation with them and their, their child. And God just gave me some stuff to share with them. And I told him, I said, remember this. The greatest thing you can do in this situation is be good and not hold on to your right to be right. Because your kids are not going to take count of all the times you're right, but they will always keep score of every time you're good. What we have to understand is he is so good. And everything and anything that comes from him is good. And it's always good, even if you don't perceive it to be that way. So we have this, this mis this misunderstanding of how good he is. As a matter of fact, in, in dealing with this, I, I started thinking about the fact that he established the law of reaping and sowing, right? And we always hear, you reap what you sow. And I understand the concept, but I want us to look into this concept based on his goodness. If I gave you an acorn and said, sow this, what would you get? An oak tree, right? And on that oak tree would be what? How many? So what you're saying is, if I sow this one little bitty thing, God will give me back something that could be sown thousands of times. It's his law, sowing and reaping. But the problem is, we take our one little acorn, and we think it's such a sacrifice. Well, I'm having to sow this one thing. I'm having to give this acorn. I'm having to dig this hole. I'm having to pour this water. I'm having to do all this thing. But then all of a sudden when you're standing under an entire oak tree that can give you shade and give you enough acorns to plant for however long you want, all of a sudden that one from the beginning seems real small, don't it? Isn't it so obvious when we look at it from this perspective? He's so much better than you think he is. 
even within his own law of sowing and reaping. This reminded me, when I was in high school, I guess I was a sophomore or junior, uh, I had this truck, it was a 94 GMC, single cab, bright red, I loved this thing, like it was just, nobody was as cool as me, Kenny, like nobody had this truck, actually everybody had the truck, <laughs> but anyway, it was the square body, it was just, what well, you know, it was just the thing, I was so pumped about it, well I wanted to put wheels on it, yes it had wheels on it, but I wanted to put some 22 inch wheels on it, I was thinking, son, if I could throw these on there, we'd be hitting the cruise every weekend, this would be the one. So I went to my dad. It's like, look, the tires on my truck are no good. I want to go up to a 22-inch wheel, low-profile tires, lower the truck. I said, but I need your help because I'm broke. <laughs> so my dad, being the awesome dad he is, says, all right, I'll front you the money for these wheels. And I was working at the time, going to school and working. He said, I'll front you the money for the wheels based on the fact you give me half of your check every week to pay for. Well, in my mind, I was like, I ain't got no bills. Let's do this. Let's roll. So my commitment was, I'm going to give you half my check. That was the requirement for me to live in the blessings of God. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. You got your blessings, I got mine, all right? So after I had paid on these for, I don't know, it had been quite a while, every week, giving him half my check, every week, just giving it. And so that left me pretty much broke. <laughs> And anyway, after a while, I had uh, I turned, I don't remember what it was, but I had a birthday. In the, one of my gifts for my birthday was an envelope for mom and dad. And I opened up, happy birthday, da 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 At the end, it said, your debt's been paid. I didn't have to pay for the rest of the wheels or whatever. And for some reason, that, that, that memory came back when I was studying this this week. Because in the beginning, that sacrifice seemed like a lot. Like, I want to go out on the weekends. I'm, you know what I mean? Me and Courtney want to go out on dates every weekend. I want to go hang out with the guys. And, but I'm giving half my check to this, and it seems like so much. And then halfway through it, all of a sudden, because he was such a good dad, he says, you know what? I'm just going to write the rest of it off. But it came on the other side of me committing to that sacrifice. It came on the other side of me saying, you know what? I'm going to commit to this. And about halfway, I think I was only about halfway, he just writes off the rest of it. There's such a reward. There's such a reward that comes when we're willing to say, you know what, I'm committing to this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive into these requirements, these sacrifices. And I know those aren't popular words in the church, but it is what it is. There's, there's these requirements, but, but they seem so small. I want to, I know it's late. But can I throw one more thing out here before we leave? Uh, I, in studying this, I became very aware. Um, I became very aware of something as it relates to God's nature in this. Because he is so good, and we're going to continue to promote and preach and dive into the fact that he is that good. His blessings are incredible, and what he does is amazing. But I became very aware... And I begin to realize that throughout all this, that God is more concerned with connection and character than destiny and purpose. Let me just leave this with you before we get out of here today. 
because we become very destiny, purpose, ministry. We become driven by all that. All that's great, and it's all a plan of God. But God is much more concerned with your character and your connection than he is your destiny. If you believe God is in a hurry to do something, you're sadly mistaken. Because he's been doing it for 2,000 years. I don't think he's in a rush. Now, I understand because of certain uh, eschatological, certain views of your end time, that those views and those understandings may make you get in a hurry, but he is not. Why is this so important? God would rather bear with them in the wilderness than let them go into the promised land too soon. God's design was I'm taking you from Egypt and I'm taking you into the promised land, which according to scholars should have took about seven days. It took them 40-something years. Why? Because when they come around the mountain, if their character and their connection still wasn't right, God would say, all right, take another right turn because you're not ready for it. You're not ready for your promise. You're not ready for your ministry. You're not ready for your destiny. I know you're all excited and you're hyped up and everybody tells you there's great things for your life. That's all good, but God's not in a hurry to get you there. God's in a hurry to deal with your character and your connection. If God was in a hurry, he would have brought Jesus here at 30 years old. God drops the answer to the world on the earth and then waits 30 years to release it. 30 years to release it. So let me help you out. I know you're talented. I know you're gifted. I know you have callings and destiny on your life, and we're so thankful for it, and we can't wait to see it, but we will not rush to put you into it. There's no need to. God's not in that big of a hurry that we have to skip some things and not deal with some things. I told you, in my life, necessity put me into a ministerial position. And because of it, I ministered as a broken and messed up young guy. So much so, I heard someone say this the other day, and it rang so true with me. So much so, I did it from the mindset of, if I can get enough young people right, it'll deal with how wrong I am. If I can fix enough of you, it will fix what's wrong with me. And it never did. It never did. I would go to youth conferences and minister and come home and just feel like the filthiest person in the world, laying in my bed thinking, God, why? Why do I even get to do this when I'm more messed up than half the kids I'm talking to? And it came back to the place of God finally, y'all have heard me talk about it before, God literally telling me, you're going to tell everyone no, you're going to sit down for an entire year, you're not going to minister, you're not going to speak, you're not going to go, you're not going to do it for a year, and we're going to get you right. And it was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. God doesn't want broken people pouring out on broken people. What he wants to do is restore some people so that they can restore people. I have to get this out before we get out of here. For God, the gifting, the conquering, the ministering, the promised land, all that's easy to him. He can do that in his sleep. It takes nothing on his part. It's so easy. But character is expensive. And character takes time. 
There's a quote by Bill Johnson. He said, gifts are free, but maturity is expensive. It was actually the grace of God that kept them in the wilderness while they were ungrateful and immature. Because crossing the Jordan prematurely would have killed them. Often it's the grace of God that has kept you where you're at. Your ministry hasn't taken off. You haven't got all the followers. People aren't listening yet. All the, none of that's happening yet by the grace of God. I heard it put like this. A lot of us think we want a covering, a pastoral covering in our life, right? You want that, that father in your life, that pastor, that apostle that covers you. Well, guess what that means? We will cover you. And I would rather you be hidden and get healed than to be exposed and remain broken. So if we have to cover you for a little while, know that the covering is for your safety. Because if they would have went into the promised land the first time, Jericho would have killed them. The giants would have killed them. Why? Because it would have been pre-maturely. Pre-before maturely. Maturity. We have to understand that his goodness is incredible and the reward for sacrifice is greater than we can ever imagine. But he knows when you're ready. And he will put people in your life that will help you know when you're ready. We can't get ahead of this. He kept them in the wilderness until they were ready for the promised land. So let me tell you this, Life Church, in closing don't get in a rush, don't start getting antsy. The services are about to keep swelling, and they're going to be exciting, and they're going to be great, and they're going to be powerful. Don't think we have to use this to hurry and accomplish something. It's not your calling. It's not your calling. It's not your calling to rush this and let's, let's make something happen. That's not how this works, all right? As the services swell, as they come up, my gosh, there's just so much he's giving me right now. The goal of this, what's happening here at Live Church, the goal, the end game, is not revival. I know that comes as a shock, but the goal is not revival. He began to show me how revival is seen within the context of Joshua and the Israelites. Revival was when Joshua said, prepare yourself because in three days we're going to the promised land. That was revival. Revival is merely a doorway into what he's calling us into. If revival becomes the end game, then the better the services get, the closer we'll think we're to being done. If a good service is the end, then we'll get there really quick and we'll stop. The goal is not to stop with good services and revival services. Those are just to revive the promise, and the promise was you're going into the promised land. My God, I've got to get this to you. The goal is not that. The goal is reformation. Every revival was intended to end with reformation. So even revivals that we pull from a lot, Toronto and Brownsville and all these incredible, Azusa Street, all these incredible moments, they ended prematurely because they were supposed to bring reformation. Revival wasn't the end game. Church, I don't want us to just settle with revival. I want reformation. I want something to change. Reformation is when you take the promised land and you turn it into your land. This is what we're after, church. Don't get in a hurry. Don't think because the services get good, we've arrived. No, 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 no. We're just now crossing Jordan. We're just now stepping into this thing.
We're just now getting there. Don't settle for the incredible services that are coming. Let those services just be a, a means that catapult us into a deeper pursuit of who he is, what he's doing, what's happening in our community. We can't settle for good services. We can't stop here, church, because I feel them swelling. I feel them every Sunday. They're swelling and there's something happening. And I believe we're on the threshold of something being crossed that puts us into a phenomenon. That doesn't mean we've arrived. That doesn't mean we got there. That means we're just, the threshold was the first thing you crossed to get in this building. How, how crazy would it be to stop at the threshold and be like, all right, we're good now. I went to church and stopped at the threshold. Stood right there the whole time. It wouldn't be smart, would it? Well, if revival's the threshold, then guess what? We're just stepping in the door. We're just now stepping in the door, and the kingdom is on the other side. I'm so excited to be a part of this family right now. Me and Dad were on the phone this morning just talking about what's happening, what's taking place in this body, and we believe that we are about to step into some moves of reformation that we're going to see a phenomenon, an impact that's really going to change some things. Let me pray with you before we get out of here. Listen, we're doing the food place today. They told y'all if you're buying lunch, buy it here. But do me a favor. Go get your kids first. Go get your kids, then go buy your food. All right? We've tortured our nursery workers long enough. Go get your kids, then go get your food. Deal? That sounds fair, right? Let me pray with you guys. Father, I am so thankful. God, I thank you for every person that's sitting here in this room this morning. God, you've brought us to this place. I feel like you're bringing us to this threshold, and there's an intensity. There's a, a pressure that's coming with it. There's a, a, a temptation to consider the sacrifice. But, Father, I pray that we as Life Church just keep believing that you're infinitely greater than we could ever sacrifice, that the reward is so much better, that the sacrifice will become so small. And Father, let us not fall for the temptation of settling for good church services. That that's not the end of this thing, but it's merely the beginning. And as people begin to just experience you and encounter you and come into a true salvation, let it just push us closer into you. Let it pull us closer to who you are, to your desire and your design. Let us never get so rushed that we feel like we need to turn it into something else. But God, we're going to rest in who you are. We're going to rest in what you're doing and what you're saying in this moment. And we're going to be obedient and we're going to stay connected. God, let that, be, let that be said of us. If they don't say anything else, just let them say we stay connected and we stay obedient. And in doing so, I trust, God, that you're going to start doing the heavy lifting. And you're going to start moving in the realm of the impossible and doing some things that are so, such a phenomenon. So much bigger than we could ever imagine that this entire community will have to say that our God is God. That, that, that according to your word, 10 men from 10 nations will shirk on our skirt and say, I want to know your God. We thank you for that this morning. We thank you for family. We thank you for your presence today. In Jesus' name, the whole family said, amen. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.